Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today is a great, great episode for you. I'm proud of this one. Episode 183, Jason Ratcliffe, the winningest crew chief in Xfinity Series history is our guest this week, and it is a timely one at that because, yes, he and Ryan Truex and the whole 19 team of Joe Gibbs Racing in the Xfinity Series absolutely spanked them, whooped everybody's butt on Saturday at the Monster Mile. It was a, a really feel-good story for Ryan Truex and finally getting to victory lane for him. It's the first time that Jason actually has won a race in the Xfinity Series, believe it or not, in about four years. He did it last with Christopher Bell, a handful of years ago. We'll get into much of that conversation in a couple minutes. We're also going to talk about Dover as a whole. The Monster Mile, I thought, in my personal opinion, put on some really good racing this past weekend, especially on Monday for when the Cup Series took to the track. And we will briefly preview America's heartland of Kansas Speedway as well. Before we do any of that, as always, we got to throw it over to Papa Siegel. He is standing by with this week's Wayback segment for the number 83 what have you cooked up for us this week, Pops? Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 183. Last time around, we took a quick look back at Brian Vickers, as well as one of the greatest names in NASCAR, Lake Speed. Those two had the most starts in number 83, and they each owned one of the number's two victories. This week, we shine our way-back lens on Ramo Stott, the Keogh Cook, Iowa campaigner who started the 1976 Daytona 500 in car 83 from the pole after Darrell Waltrip, A.J. Foyt, and Dave Marcus all had their qualifying positions vacated for running illegal engines. Ah, yes, they were different times, my friends. You probably remember that race for its ending. It was the one where David Pearson and Richard Petty wrecked each other in the grass coming to the checkered flag, with Pearson limping across the start-finish line to take the victory. Stott was best known as a dirt track and ARCA race. He won 27 ARCA races, including the series championship in 1970 and 71. During a career that started in the 1950s, and spanned into the 1990s. He was a 2011 inductee in the National Dirt Late Model Hall of Fame. Okay, I didn't know there was such a thing, but good on you, mate. When he wasn't racing, Stott was a farmer, a NASCAR race official, and even did a stint as the pace car driver. Stott was part of a group of drivers, all from Keokuk, who helped that town become known as the home of champions and the racing capital of the world. Hmm. I think I remember seeing that moniker 
atop a large water tower in a certain track in Indianapolis, Indiana. Just saying. Finally, I'd be remiss if I didn't close by dedicating this week's segment to my dad and Davy's pop-pop, who passed away late last year at the age of 83. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Yes, thank you, Dad. Very well said. Uh, but way to end on a downer. Jesus, I mean, my goodness. In all seriousness, thank you uh, for that homage to Pop Pop as well as the number 83. Pop Pop in his time here, uh, he was a big, avid listener to Victory Lane. I will say, I don't know if he understood 80 to 85% of what I was saying or what was being discussed, but I do know that he always had me and Pops and everybody else on the show in his ears. So very nice homage to the number 83 and Pop Pop, who was 83. We love you, big man. All right, hard left turn here. <laughs> uh, thanks for that, Dad. We're going to chat with Jason Ratcliffe now. He is obviously the crew chief of the 19 car over at Joe Gibbs Racing in the NASCAR Xfinity Series and recent winner of the A-Game 200 at Dover Motor Speedway with Ryan Truex. Big win for them for so many reasons. Ryan has scratched and clawed his way to get to this point, and he did it last year with Jason, almost getting to victory lane, finally in his fifth start of the season, and I believe 190th National Series start in NASCAR. He finds victory lane and does it at his home racetrack. How about that? So we got into that in our conversation with Jason, also chatted a bit about his time overall as a crew chief in the Xfinity Series and had some time in the Cup Series, very successful time, I might add, as well. We had about 30 minutes with Jason, which in my opinion is so much for a crew chief and a winning crew chief at that, but we just scratched the surface. So looking forward to having him back on the show for another chat with Jason. I will get out of the way in the meantime and let you hear the full chat with the winner at Dover Motor Speedway, the winning crew chief for Ryan Truex, Jason Ratcliffe. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, the winner at the Monster Mile at Dover Motor Speedway, crew chief for Ryan Truex and Joe Gibbs Racing. It is Jason Ratcliffe. You must have had a hell of a last few days, my friend, celebrating, basking in the glory of the win. My question is, did Ryan invite you over to celebrate? And if so, how was the celebration? Yeah, he did. Um, I had to pass on the celebration. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I know. And I tell you, there's a little bit of an age difference there, and my bedtime is a little bit, a little bit different from them. But it sounded like they had a really good time, and uh, you know, we celebrated there at the track before we left, and and obviously on the plane ride home, and uh, actually as soon as the plane landed, um, my daughter, my son, and my daughter-in-law had their first child, so wow. I became a grandparent for the first time. As Congratulations! As, it was a big day for me. Uh, so Man. I still went to the hospital and celebrated that. And so, yeah, it's been a great week. Oh my God. I, I'm not going to make you pick which one was a better, uh, a better, <laughs> a better moment in that day for you, but God, that's got to be a day to end all days. It was, man. I mean, one of them was just a, you know, a momentary celebration. The rest of them, the, the other one's going to last for, for years to come. So <laughs> yeah. it was, uh, it was good all around. Yeah, man. Well, congratulations. That's exciting news. Uh, and here I thought that the racing aspect would be the most exciting <laughs> thing to happen to you this week. Uh, life has a uh, life has crazy ways of working itself out. So I know Ryan spoke, 
in victory lane. And even before this, leading up to the race, just I know he's had he's had five starts with you guys so far this year. He's got one more on the docket. How it's been a big weight on his shoulders. And being in this team, he expects to win and he wants to win so, so badly. He talked about how it was a big weight off of his shoulders when he got that win. Did it feel that way for you a little bit as well atop the war wagon? I did. I mean, we, we knew that, that Ryan was only going to be with us for a few races. And we talked going into the season, you know, Ryan ran, ran a few races with us last year. Um, so we, we were able to, you know, build that relationship and, and continue to improve every race he had last year. So it felt like going into this season, you know, based on the momentum we had from 2022, yeah, man, we had we had a good shot at it. And he had some tracks that um, were on his schedule that, that he really liked, like Phoenix and Dover. And, and really all of them were opportunities for us to win. We got through the first couple, had a second place finish, then a third place finish. Uh, then went into, uh, I think, Martinsville or Talladega. I don't remember the order now. But uh, had a good run at both of those places, but just didn't quite meet our expectations. Knowing that we only had Dover and Darlington left um, on his schedule this year, we felt like, hey, you, you know, we're, we're getting close to, to running out of time here. So to be able to get that done at Dover, you know, for him and then also for the race team, it's been – it's been a few years since we've been to victory lane. So uh, to get that and, and to do it like that, I mean, what a dominant performance by Ryan. You could tell coming in that, that uh, he was, he was loaded for bear and he'd been doing a lot of preparation for that track and it paid off for him. Yeah, it, it sure did. I mean, we hear a lot of stories about what happened. I guess it was 11 years ago coming so close to that win at Dover. I'm sure that he had this track circled for that reason, was that weighing in the back of your mind at all too, knowing what your driver had come so close to accomplishing over a decade ago at this very racetrack? Well, it was, and I knew that, that because of that, that would be, uh, you know, s something that would inspire him, knowing that, hey, I've come that close. I'm going to a track where, hey, I've got some confidence. I feel like I can get this done. And if I just, you know, just get close, I think that I learned some things from that one. And I'm more, I'm more experienced and more mature driver at this time. So little did we know going in that, I mean, you always feel like you're going to have a, have a good race car and, and put on a good uh, performance. But I think it was, it, it even exceeded our expectations. I think everything just went, you, very few races go just perfect. And I would say that that one was about as perfect as it goes. It was flawless. Guys on pit road did a phenomenal job. Ryan drove a perfect race. There were a couple of moments there where you're like, oh boy, this, this is going to get a little more dramatic than we want, <laughs> wanted yeah. to, um, you know, during the green flag cycle. But uh, yeah, I'm sure that was weighing on his mind in the closing laps. Um, you know, anything can happen here. But as soon as you see that white flag, you know, you get a little, a little bit of relief and uh, you're like, okay, just finish this one lap and we get this thing done. You said it after the race, and I found this pretty telling. You have been around the block a time or two. You've ran at Dover so many times in the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series, and you said that car that you guys had on Saturday was by far the best one that you've ever had at the Monster Mile. That's saying something, given the, the amount of times that you've raced there. It, it was. I mean, I just feel like every time we go there, we're always chasing a, a car that's really good on the front side of the run or really good on the back side of the run. And it's difficult to tie that together um, with the concrete track, the, the way the rubber lays down, and then you pick it up under caution. 
you know, you either have a car that's that's good on a clean racetrack or good on a track that's rubbered up. But very seldom do you have one that's really good on both ends of the run. Right. And I felt like we had that on Saturday. So, we, we you know, you, you do it enough times, eventually you're going to hit it. And, uh, and finally we did. So I was looking at your racing reference page, and it didn't occur to me until I looked at it, but I think that this is your first win in the Xfinity Series in about four years since – you did it with yeah. C Bell back in 2019. Did it feel that long to you? It has felt that long. Yes, <laughs> I was beginning to wonder if if I should just do something different. <laughs> no, we've been we've been close. Um, we've been really close. So I, I knew that it was just a matter of time uh, that eventually we would get it done. We've had fast race cars, and and these things are hard to win. I mean, they're very difficult and. I've told my guys for years simply because I heard it from another guy after, uh, I don't know, one of my first few wins. And he said, hey, always celebrate these things like they're the last one because you are always celebrate like they're the first one because you never know when it's going to be the last one. And so I tell my guys the same thing. Hey, man, enjoy it for everything it's worth um, because you could go on a slump. You could go on a four-year slump or it could be a while. Um, and, and, you know, they're very like I said, it's it's as difficult now to win as it ever has been, and it's always been tough. Um, but yeah, we we cherish this one, and you never know. I mean, you hope you go back to victory lane next week, but it, it's tough. I and mean, you could go out there and run second for ten weeks in a row, and you know that would be a bad problem to have, right? But but uh, you know, it may be a while before you get back there. So we we celebrate it like it's the last one always. Uh, and again, you were a little bit busy becoming a grandfather. Congratulations again yep. on that. But I'm sure that you've probably heard from your driver by now. I hope that he's celebrated accordingly like it was his first, which it was, and last, which we hope it's not. Yeah. Yeah, he did. I, I touched base with him uh, Sunday afternoon. I said, hey, man, what time did you get to bed? I think he said 5 a.m. or something. Oh, so yeah. I think they had a good time. Um, you know, he was. Uh, I saw him uh, yesterday, did a little bit of sim work, getting ready for Darlington, and then he was in the shop this afternoon or before lunch and looked like he was recovering, but it, it but it looked like it was still weighing on him. Uh-huh. <laughs> the lack of sleep was still weighing on him <laughs> a little bit, but he was still smiling, man, still smiling from ear to ear. So that's good. I'm glad that he's celebrating accordingly. That's uh, that's the way to go. So, you know, I talked about how it was a big weight off of his shoulders. He said that no secret. He has scratched and clawed his way to not just get to where he's at right now, but get the opportunity to be in the 19 car on a limited basis like that for you as a crew chief. And I know that you've worked with countless drivers. I mean, last year alone, I think you worked with like eight or nine of them, but to, to give Ryan that victory to know what he's gone through the last decade plus, And even this year, putting so much pressure on himself, did that make it a little bit more gratifying for you to be able to help him get that first win? Oh, no doubt. I, I'm trying to think there's been a couple moments in my career where I was, I was able to experience the first win uh, with, with a driver and man, it's so, it's just different. You know, they, we were, we were kind of taking on Ryan today because he's usually very talkative on the radio, you know, and, and when things are going well, he lets you know, when things are not going well, he lets you know. Uh-huh. And after he took the checkered flag, we didn't hear anything. You know, we kind of said our thing and the spotter kind of said his thing, you know, and it was quiet. And I keyed up. I said, man, sure is quiet in there. Yep, I heard you. You you can only imagine the emotions, you know. And so, to you know, I say that to say this, that the first win is, you know, 
it's only going to happen once. And to be able to experience that with someone and not just Ryan, but I've got, uh, I don't know, probably three guys on the team, maybe four that that was their first one. So it was a big day for the race team, obviously a big day for Ryan. And hopefully that will be some momentum for him in his career. I mean, Ryan's young. He's got a long career ahead of him. Hopefully this will be uh, just the first of many for him. Um, but yeah, there's always, there's only, there's only one first and, and I'm glad he could do that with us. Like I said, last year I do, I did have that right. You, you crew chief for nine different drivers from yep. cup series veterans to ARCA rookies making their first start. I mean, you ran the gamut. There was a big spectrum that you uh, called the shots for last year. I'm curious as a crew chief, somebody who sets the car up and, and is the leader of that team, how did you manage going through all those different drivers from a quantity standpoint, but also in terms of quality and experience going from your Denny Hamlin, Christopher Bells of the world to Drew Dollar, who's making his first starts in the, in the Xfinity series. How'd you manage all that? Well, you, you know, you, once you get the lineup, the first thing you do is you start building those relationships. Obviously I've worked with Christopher and I've worked with Denny um, and been fortunate enough to win races with both those guys. So you know you know what to expect there. Those guys are come gonna come in. You just need to make sure your car is ready and you need to make sure that the pit crew is ready and they're gonna get their job done. The other guys, you know, you need to build some relationship with them. You need to figure out, okay, what do they want in a race car? And sometimes a few of these guys only ran a handful of races. Sometimes it takes a race or two, you know. There's certain drivers you, you're gonna hit it right out of the box. You're gonna get him exactly what he needs to go fast and and you're gonna nail it. Um, but then there's others, you know, if you go and put Christopher Bell set up in for, you know, whoever, uh, Connor Mozak or, or, uh, Drew Dollar or, you know, any one of those guys, a Sammy Smith, that, that may not be to his liking. Now he's probably going to be able to go fast with it and, and run up front, run close to the front, but he's going to want something a little different. So until you can sit down across the desk from him, sit in the office, talk racing a little bit get to know them, start building that communication, you know, you got to kind of start there. And when you have, when you have seven, eight, nine different drivers, it's pretty time consuming, you know? So thankfully we, we had that lineup early in the winter and we could start building that, you know, that momentum. And then obviously there's a few drivers you go out there and you, and you click right off the bat, whether it's the, it's the setup, you know, the, the, the driver just, likes what you have for him and the communication is really good and those get get sparked pretty quick and take off but uh i feel like you know with trevor with ryan with with a few of those guys they came in and and we were able to give them what they needed to to pick up and take off now they've got a lot of experience they you know they're kind of no, no different than christopher and 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 denny um they come in with a lot of experience they know the ins and outs of racing they can help you as the race unfolds with the younger guys, it's a little different. You have to put on a different hat and know that their inexperience is going to. For those guys, it's more about trying to predict the the potential mistakes that are around the corner, and just hey man, be aware of this. Hey man, be aware of that. So just kind of teaching them, which is going to be beneficial for them down the road. Um, but you just have to kind of play it in stages. So it's fun. It's 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 uh, it keeps you on your toes. You know you don't. I mean, obviously, you enjoy working with all these different types of drivers, but going back and forth has its own challenges, but it but it has a lot of rewards as well. It's 
some it's kind of like road course racing at first i didn't really like road course racing now i enjoy it just because it's different it makes you think out of the box you, you know you don't get dull in what you're doing you know it keeps your creativity going uh so it's kind of the same thing really so out of all those drivers ryan obviously is the one that we're chatting about a little bit more given what what he did this past weekend at dover He's kind of a mild-mannered guy. I mean, again, to your point, he's talkative in the race car to a point, but he's pretty quiet on Saturday after the race. Is there anything specifically about him that sets him apart from the others? And is there anything that, that you've observed from him, whether it's him in the sim or in the car when you guys are racing together on the weekends, that kind of sets him apart and makes him different from any other guy that you've worked with? Well, I think Ryan brings a you know, really all the things that a veteran brings, you know, as a driver, uh, he's been in the sport for a while. He knows racing. Um, he prepares, he works hard. He's got a great work ethic. Um, so he's not one of those guys that, Hey, let me see where I'm racing this year. And then I'll start getting ready for it. He's like, Hey, I want to be ready so that when they tell me where I'm racing this year, I'm ready. And, so he's just a really hard worker, um, great work ethic. And really, when you make it to this level, I think that your work ethic better be pretty good or you're, you're not, you're not going to be here very long. Yeah. But he brings everything that a, that a veteran driver. I mean, I'm just, I'm actually, I'm shocked that he's, he's not driving full time somewhere um, because I think he's that good and he's that talented and he can, he can bring things to a race team that's going to help him build a race team and grow. Um, so it's, it's surprising to me that he's even one of the drivers we have that's running a part-time schedule this year. Uh, so I would say that's it. He, he brings the same, he's kind of in between your, your, you know, your, your Christopher's and Denny's and, and then, you know, some of the, well, I can't even say he's in between because he's not a rookie by any means. He's got a lot of races under his belt. Sure. Uh, and he's smart, you know, he, he asked the, some of the questions he asked leading up to the weekend. You know, about, hey, what are we going to do here? What are we thinking of practice? And just some of his ideas, you're like, man, this guy's a thinker. You know, he's been thinking about this for a while. He's been preparing. He's been watching his video, whatever it takes to get ready. So he brings he brings all of the value of a veteran driver, um, but he's a part-time guy, unfortunately, for now. <laughs> but right. I think – yeah, I mean Martin. Even when he won the race on Sunday, he was pretty clear about saying, "Look, we got to get we got to get Ryan in the car for more races full time." And you know, yeah. he's a very calm, mild mannered, reserved guy too. But he was on the phone with Coach in Victory Lane, and I asked him, "I was like, who, who are you talking to?" He said, "It was Coach. I was telling him to get Ryan in the car more." It's we wish it was that simple, right? But I, I think to your point, he's running the Cup Series, he's running the Xfinity Series, he's now one at that level. He's a two time ARCA East champ, so. He knows what it takes and what needs to be done in order to win races. For you, do you think it's kind of a matter of just getting more reps and getting that security underneath him of, okay, he has more than just six races in one year. Now he can then kind of go out, focus on winning more races instead of just trying to prove himself and get that weight off his shoulders? Well, I mean, if if your question is why or – you know, why is he not running full time? I think the sports just, just looks a lot different right now. Um, and it has for the last few years. I'm, I'm shocked that, you, you know, you look across, the, you know, at all the cars that race on any given Saturday, 
And you're like, man, I'm really surprised that some of these owners, especially the ones that are starting multi-car teams and, but it's not that they don't want to, it's just, it's, it's difficult to do, you know, to go out and find that sponsorship and that support, um, to put a guy like Ryan in the car and give him the equipment he needs to go out there and get it done. Now, hopefully that's going to happen. I think one thing, you know, I think everyone in the garage looked at Ryan and went, yeah, I think, I think Ryan's pretty good. But I think after Saturday they went, oh yeah, he's really good, you know? And, and so maybe, the next owner out there that says, Hey, I've got a seat that's going to open up. Who's someone I can put in here that's going to take care of my equipment, um, be a good representative for my sponsors, help us grow our race team and go out there and be competitive each week. I, I would say Ryan's name is going to be at the top of the list. It should be. Um, it's a difficult time. I wish it was as simple as team owners saying, Hey, which one of these guys is just the best and I'm going to go get them. Yeah. You know that's that's not re- the the reality of it. So, but I would definitely say he turned some turned some heads and are you know just validated some things that people already felt like he had to bring to the table. And so hopefully that that provides something for him in the future. Yeah, you and me both. We can uh, can only hope that more good things come of this. Um, I want to get into your background just a little bit. I know we have limited time here, but I find that your background in racing is pretty interesting. South Carolina, Louisiana, Texas, you were in a lot of different places and moved around a lot when you were growing up, when you were a kid before NASCAR and North Carolina kind of came into focus. I'm curious as a kid growing up, how prevalent was racing in your everyday life? And was it something that you knew from a really, really young age that you wanted to explore more and go down that path? Kind of just take me through and back to those days and how prevalent the sport was for you. Well, growing up, I was always a car guy. And um, my dad, my dad was a minister for 25 years. And so just to help, you know, supplement some income, he would buy and sell cars. From the time I was 9, 10, 11 years old, I was turning wrenches on, you know, cars, cleaning cars up, detailing cars for him to sell. So cars were something that I enjoyed doing. I enjoyed working on them. I enjoy, you know, when you get up in your teen years, it's like, okay, how can we make these things go fast? And then in high school, I was able to work with a guy at a local dirt track in Louisiana, got a passion for that. I'm like, well, this would be really fun. Now, did I ever think I would do that as a profession? No. I just thought, man, if I could get a few extra dollars, I'm going to go buy me a race car. And, you know, this is going to be a lot of fun on the weekend. So from there, I moved to Texas and same deal, was able to work with someone at the local dirt track there off and on, tried to buy my own car, wanted to be a driver. I think, I think most of the guys in this sport, you know, we all feel like, Hey, we're good at this. We can do this. Right. Yeah. And, uh, never really had that opportunity. So what's the next best thing? Hey, let's, let's go work on these. Let's turn wrenches. So I had an opportunity, um, from a team in Nashville in the mid nineties, moved from Dallas, Texas, my wife and I, and my, my young son moved it out, moved to Nashville, started there on a part-time cup deal, came in as just general mechanic, did some electrical work, building wiring harnesses, learned from there. In about a year, I started on the pit crew, front tire changer. And then in a year and a half, I was car chiefing, working on the setup plate and just kept, I mean, I've always been the kind of guy that, hey, if I see something that 
I enjoy and I want to know something about, I'm just going to dig into it. If you give me the opportunity, I'm going to jump in with both feet and, and see what it's all about. And so I did that. And thankfully, it was a small team. So that opportunity was there, that opportunity to you know explore and not just be you know specialized in one area. So I learned a lot doing that. Then from there, I moved to Kentucky um, and started really it was kind of more of a co-crew chief role in 1999 with Casey Atwood and we won a couple races that year and then in 2000 moved into the crew chief position uh worked with Casey worked with Jamie McMurray David Green uh before moving to North Carolina and uh working for Joe Gibbs Racing now it's been since 2005 so Yeah. yeah we're working on about what 18 years or so so yeah it's been a great career um you know, early on, it was just, hey, I I enjoy these cars. I enjoy going fast, and 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 I would love to be a driver. And how can I do that? And and then it was just, I just want to be a part of this. You know, I just want to be someone that can 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 do this for a living. It would be a great, you know, I do it now for nothing. If I could do it for a living, how great would that be? And the door just opened up for me. And when it did, um, you know, like I said, I jumped in with both feet and, and worked as hard as I could to move up the ranks. I was on, I actually pitted cars until, uh, actually until I came to Gibbs. So until 2005, I was a tire changer, um, crew chief slash tire changer. Those were the days you don't, you don't, <laughs> <laughs> you don't see that anymore, but time, times have changed. Uh, they used to be kind of pretty common. Um, and I tell people that they're like, wow, how, how did that even work? You know? Um, yeah. but, Things were different back then, and uh, it, it's great. It's been an awesome career for me. Um, I've got to work with just, you know, just amazing drivers, uh, just super fortunate. Um, won a few races, you know, then was able to do the cup deal. And, you know, 2000, uh, 2012 through 2017 with uh, with Joey and with Matt, um, won a few cup races. That was, that was a good time. Uh, and so, yeah, now here we are. Yeah, I mean, you you spread a lot of fields there. You've had such a long, illustrious career. I had it like all written down in my outline because I know it goes all the way back from many sprints, then to the Sadler brothers, then to Casey Atwood, started in the Xfinity yeah. Series in 2000, Cup Series in 2000. Um, and then, you know, you go to all these different places with different drivers. I want to ask about 2009 specifically. That's when you won that championship in the Xfinity Series with Kyle Busch. What did that mean to you at that time? And then I guess now it's been almost, not to age you or, or me, but 15 <laughs> years almost since that day and that year. Now looking back on it, do you have any more appreciation for what you guys were able to do at that point and, and bring home the hardware? You know, when, you, when you're right in the middle of it, yeah, I had a huge appreciation for it. We, you know, when coming in, we, JTR, the, the Xfinity program or Nationwide program or whatever it was at the time, it, it wasn't, I mean, we were okay. We, we did okay. We, we, um, you know, we were competitive and everybody worked hard. We had a good group. Um, and we just kept building and building. And I feel like it was, God, it seemed like it moved so slow, but looking back at it, you're like, wow, it, it's been a long time, but man, have we really come a long way from from when I first got here in 2005. Now, we always had everything we needed, all the resources we needed um, to get it done. And I think as we started building momentum, 
um, you know, in our Saturday program. And then Toyota came along um, and, and kind of just took that to a different level. And then you had drivers like Joey and Kyle come along um, and Danny and all these guys that just jumped in these Xfinity cars and, you know, and, and made us made us look smart. And we went out there and just started building the program that was, like I said, in, in the midst of it, you don't really realize what's going on. You look back at it, you're like, man, that was that was some pretty amazing years. And, yeah. you know, to win a lot of owners' championships, to win a driver's championship with Kyle, um, set some crazy records, you know, most yeah. most victories in a season. It's just, it's crazy, you know. And, and here I am, haven't had a win in four years, and you look back on that, you're like, yeah, man, you're just, you're spoiled. Um, but it was not like it wasn't, it was just as difficult then, I feel like. I, I, you know, we, we had exceptional drivers and we had everything we needed. It just was clicking. You know, things were going going right. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm still just as passionate about it today. I, I, every week we go to the racetrack, I feel like, man, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to get it done no different than we did in 2008, 2009. Uh, but those were great, super great memories. And I tell people stories about those days, you know, running 10, 11, 12 races a year. And they're like, man, you're, you know, really? I'm like, oh, it was unbelievable. And, you know, you never know. Like I talked about earlier, you, you celebrate everyone, you know, like it's the first one because you don't know when it's going to be the last one. Well, when they're happening every other week, it, it, you kind of get out of that. You start taking yeah. things for granted. So I'm kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's humbling to go through that and then be on kind of a, you know, I don't know if you'd call it a lull or what you'd call it, but go some seasons without a victory because it kind of, it, it kind of fires you back up and it gets you going again. You don't think, take things for granted. And then when you do look back on those great times, you're like, man, it, you, you just appreciate them even that much more. Um, but, you know, I, Again, I've, it's been an unbelievable opportunity and career for me. You think about all the drivers that, I mean, the Kyle Bushes, the Denny Hamlins, the Christopher Bells, the Matt Kenses. I mean, I mean, you think of a crew chief that is able to work with that many different names in the sport that are at the top of the list um, and to win the number of races and to be involved with, you know, Jughead Racing, Toyota, and all the things that, have just unfolded and you kind of ask yourself, man, why, why me? Why was I, I mean, I didn't do anything to, you know, deserve that. I, I was just right place, right time. Right. Um, but I feel like I did take advantage of those opportunities. You know, as I mentioned earlier in the, in the mid nineties, um, in the early two thousands, when you didn't have those things, you work hard, you know, and you, and you learn what you can so that when, when those opportunities present, present themselves, just like we saw for Ryan Truex this week, the guy works hard, he stays prepared. If you wait until the opportunity presents itself to prepare, then you're going to be too late. And yep. I feel like I was I was at the right place at the right time, but I was ready for it when, when the door opened, um, just like our boy Ryan was on Saturday. And uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been an awesome career, no doubt. That's great perspective. I I have so many more questions. I wish we had more time. I got one last one for you. I mean, you, you mentioned all those drivers from Matt to Joey to Denny, Christopher, Kyle, 
Ryan now. I mean, for all those big names, you had a lot of guys that weren't as big of a names or ran only one or two races with you. Uh, I counted, and I may be incorrect, but I counted about 30 or 31 drivers that you've worked with in your career spanning the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series. And you've done most of that, if not all of it, with Joe Gibbs Racing, like you mentioned, since 2005. I feel like this is kind of a, a topic, a topical question given what we've heard this past week with Jimmy Johnson and Legacy Motor Club switching to Toyota next year in terms of loyalty, right? It seems like you have been ultra loyal to Joe Gibbs Racing and they have returned the favor and been very loyal to you as well. Where does that come from? And why do you think that you guys have worked so well together and more importantly, worked so long together since 2005? Well, when uh, J.D. JD Gibbs hired me here in 2005, late 2004. And, um, you know, J.D. gave me opportunities at times. He's like, hey, man, I can't remember the exact year. He's like, yeah, I don't know what we're going to have this year. There's going to be some, you know, opportunities out there. You might want to go look at them. And I went and looked at them, and I just felt like, hey, Joe Gibbs Racing's where where I want to be. The, the atmosphere, the culture, the people here. Um, so I think that loyalty um, is it has been something that they have seen out of me, um, and and I always felt like that's something I would, you know, get from them. Now one day that's, you know, and I'm not going to say that. It, they weren't loyal. Just one day we know this ride is going to come to an end and we're going to part our ways and I'm going to go do my thing and, and someone else is going to come in and take his seat. But uh, it's been tremendous. And, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know why they they would you know stick with me this long. Um, I mean, thankfully, I felt like I, I earned my paycheck week in and week out. And Yeah. Um, but I think from that point when when J.D. came to me and said, hey, I, I'm going to, you know, let you go out here. Or I want you to go out here and look at other things. I don't really know what we're going to have for this year. It's not going to be, you know, it could be a partial schedule. It, it may be something that you're really not super interested in. For him to, to even do that, you know, means a lot. And then I think for me coming back saying, hey, yeah, I, I'm willing to ride it out if, if you want me to, um, because this is where I want to be. And so I think that meant a lot and that that's carried you know, over the years, um, now going, you know, 18 years and hopefully, you know, even longer than that, we'll see where it goes. But, uh, it's, it's been a great relationship for me with, with the Gibbs family, um, with coach and, and JD and Coy and, and, uh, and, and now Ty. Um, and, uh, it's been a lot of fun and I, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed to, to be a part of that. I think you've earned your paycheck a time or two being the winningest Xfinity Series crew chief of all time. That's just me. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, Jason, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time, especially coming off a busy and successful week. You're a grandpa, so congratulations, Thanks. grandpa. Um, enjoy the rest of your quote-unquote off week and all the best moving forward, and we'll see you at Darlington. Thank you so much for the time today, sir. Congratulations. I mean, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And we are back. Whew, man, what a chat. What a guy, right? He was, uh, you could tell, he was feeling good in this off week heading into for the Xfinity Series. I know that they're going to hit the ground running again at Darlington when Ryan Truex is going to try to go back to back. But really, really 
interesting perspective and appreciate Jason's time carving it out for me on, again, kind of an off week for him. And thank you so much to Austin Dickey as well of Joe Gibbs Racing for helping coordinate that conversation. I texted Jason after. I was like, thank you so much for the time again. Appreciate all that stuff, Grandpa. <laughs> so again, congrats to Jason on that as well. What a what a day. You win an Xfinity race. You think that it's one of the best days of your career, and then all of a sudden you get home and you're a grandpa. That is that has got to be something. So congrats times two to Jason and the uh, entire Ratcliffe family. Let's chat a little bit more about Dover Motor Speedway. I think we kind of have beaten the horse on Ryan Truex, but it was just, it was really cool to be there in person. And, you know, I've gotten to know Ryan somewhat well over the last several years and just seeing how he has scratched and clawed and grinded his way to get opportunities and now taking full advantage of those opportunities. It's pretty badass. I'm not going to lie. And uh, it gives people like me and everybody else hope that, you know, all the hard work will pay off at some point. So that was just really, really cool to see. And I thought it was cool, too, to have Martin Truex Jr. in victory lane. He was like a proud papa, except he was a proud big brother, of course. He was uh, on the phone with Joe Gibbs. He was calling him. He was smiling. He was taking pictures. And I will never forget, for as long as I live, uh, one of the first big sit-down interviews that I ever did on camera was actually with Martin Truex Jr. at NBC Sports Washington. And he was kind of caught off guard because I brought up the fact that he gets really nervous when he watches his brother Ryan race. And Martin was like, how'd you know that? Well, since you brought it up, I am the worst. <laughs> and um, I asked him about that in victory lane, and he said that he was not moving spots in his coach. He was not going to change socks. He was not going to breathe. He was not going to eat. He was not going to drink. He was not going to change anything until they took the white flag and they knew that the next flag ended the race. So that was just a really cool moment to be a part of. And, you know, I got a picture of Martin Truex Sr., Ryan, and MTJ with Ryan's girlfriend, Leah, as well. That was just um, a really cool victory lane on Saturday. Sunday was not as cool. <laughs> that was a very wet day. Race got rained out. I actually went home to D.C., it's about an hour 45, maybe two hour run from Dover to where I live in D.C. compared to about 45 minutes or an hour to where I would have been staying south of the racetrack in Millsboro. So I was like, you know what? I don't think Sunday is going to happen. I hope it does, but I don't think it's going to. Let me just go sleep in my own bed. And if it looks like there's going to happen on Sunday or if there's a window, I'll just drive the two hours back. Lo and behold, race gets called at 1030. Had a nice Sunday off. The whole industry did kind of, if you weren't working. And then we went back racing on Monday. And I got to say, I was so, so pleasantly surprised with the crowd that was there on a Monday. I have been going to Dover twice a year, every year since 2002, up until when they uh, uh, scaled back their races from two races to one per year. And my dad went with me to 99% of those. And to see the evolution not just at Dover, but across the country and, and motorsports in general, of the decline of attendance and taking stands away and putting banners over the stands and the weather that has plagued Dover the last handful of years. I think the stat is what there's there's been five rain postponements in Dover Motor Speedway history, and three have come in the last five years. I think that's what it is. Just really, really bad luck, and I don't love where Dover is on the calendar right now in terms of the Cup Series schedule, but... Hopefully that can kind of be fixed, looked at, and maybe rectified moving forward. But for a Monday afternoon race, I was thrilled with the amount of people that were there. I mean, 
I got to be honest, you, you show me that crowd, I'm assuming it's a Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. like always. I mean, that was a really, really good crowd. So shout out to all the people in the Mid-Atlantic, whether you came from Philly, Jersey, Baltimore, Maryland, D.C., wherever along the eastern seaboard. Shout out to you for getting out of work on Monday and going to the racetrack because I'm sure you had a better time and uh, it was reflected in the attendance. And you saw a pretty damn good race too, in my opinion. You had comers and goers because qualifying was rained out, so the field was set by the the metric. And um, there were a lot of good cars coming from deep in the field. Kyle Larson comes to mind. Ross Chastain comes to mind. Uh, speaking of Ross Chastain, let's just get into it. Uh his, uh, his latest victim on the Ross Chastain Don't Give a Bleep Tour was Brennan Poole. Kyle Larson was collateral damage in that. I'll say this about Ross. I'm a big fan of his. I love what he's doing. I love his story. Uh, we have a great relationship, to be honest. But this is just another example of his aggressiveness, unfortunately, just getting the best of him. And, you know, I'm sure that he understands and he's heard it from plenty of people that are probably way more influential and important than me. But saying I'm sorry and I need to be better and I will be better and then just going out a couple weeks later and doing the same thing, it's getting pretty tiresome. And I'm, I'm definitely not alone in that camp. I do think that Ross is somebody that, you know, has Dale Earnhardt tendencies, but I do not think that they should be compared in the slightest. And I don't think Ross would think that either, given each of their respective track records. And I just don't know if Ross wants to have that label put on him where he's at right now in his career. But look, I can see why some people would say, well, you know, he is intimidating to other drivers and, you know, he he's rattling people's cages and Terry Labonte's famous line of what he never means to do anything. It just happens that way about Dale Earnhardt. You know, a lot of people feel the same way and have said similar things about Ross. Um, but here's the thing. Ross is the points leader guys. Ross finished second on Sunday. Ross is contending for wins every single week on short tracks, road courses, intermediate, super speedways. Ross Chastain ain't going anywhere. So you're going to have to get used to racing around him, racing with him, racing against him, and dealing with all that comes along with what Ross Chastain does. Now, I don't think that this is going to happen every week because it doesn't. I mean, it happens more often than, than he would like and everybody else would probably like. I understand that. But at the same time, we need to understand one thing about Ross Chastain. He did not get here because of money. He did not get here because of his last name. He got here because he scratched, he clawed, much like Ryan Truex, and on his talent alone, right? And that, in my opinion, should should really be applauded and heralded. But at the same time, that doesn't really give you a license to go out and just absolutely you know, wreck the dog you-know-what out of people, whether it's purposeful or not. I understand that, and I think he does too. So we'll see what Ross Chastain does moving forward. Uh, kind of bearing the lead here. But Martin Truex Jr. snaps a 54-race winless streak at Dover. His fourth career win at the Monster Mile. Third on a Monday, by the way. Uh, big, big win for him. And I know that they won the Clash earlier this year, which he and James Small both kind of count as a win. But in terms of a points-paying race, a race that will qualify you for the postseason, he does it for the first time in almost 60 weeks. That is a long, long time. Well, more than 60 weeks, but almost 60 race weeks, you know what I mean? Um, so that was a big, big day for him. Big for James Small, too. He told Claire B. Lang on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio in Victory Lane, uh, you know, all you guys can stop tweeting me telling me to leave and, and that they won't Cole Pern back because we finally won a race again. Uh, I cleaned that up so you can fill in the blanks there. But, 
That was pretty funny. It was just a, a kind of a feel-good weekend because the racing itself was good. The crowd was good. Once the weather got out, got it out of its system, you know, it was a nice sunny day on Monday at Dover, and you had brothers sweeping the weekend for the 13th time, I believe, in NASCAR National Series history. So congrats to Ryan. Congrats to Martin Truex Jr. Congrats to Martin Truex Sr. Congrats to the whole Truex family, man. That was a hell of a weekend at their actual legitimate home track at Dover. And now we're off to Kansas Speedway. Yes, use all the uh, Wizard of Oz references. We'll, we'll get into that on Friday on TMD. Uh, I think that you'll probably see whoever was fast at Las Vegas be fast here at Kansas. Obviously, a mile-and-a-half racetrack, similar layout, similar tire wear, similar tendencies. Ford, they have not been great this year so far. I would probably fade them. I would lean heavy on 23-11 racing, the 45 car. They swept the races here last year with Kurt Busch winning in the spring and Bubba Wallace winning in the fall. I think Tyler Reddick's going to be fast. I think Bubba's going to be fast again. I think that the Joe Gibbs Racing contingent is also going to be fast, so I would not be surprised to see them contending for wins. And I also think that Chevrolet is going to be good too, right? Hendrick Motorsports, they're good pretty much everywhere and anywhere, so wouldn't count them out. Speaking of Chevrolet, just a quick note I want to hit on before we say goodbye. Legacy Motor Club, switching from Chevy to Toyota for 2024 and beyond. Going to be really weird to see Jimmy Johnson and Richard Petty donning some Toyota emblems in the future, but hey, they thought that this is the best move for them long-term, strategically, and financially. It's hard to disagree with that. So I'm looking forward to see what they can do for the rest of the year in the Chevy contingent, but more importantly, next year in Toyotas. Eric Jones and Noah Gregson going back to the Toyota fold. David Wilson, very happy about that. So we shall see how that unfolds. And that'll wrap things up for episode 183 of Victory Lane 2.0. Thank you so much again to Jason Ratcliffe for coming on the show, for you to tuning in as well. And if you like what you heard here today, please do me a favor. You can leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, SoundCloud, the Green app, anywhere you get your podcast. We should be available there for your consumption. And if we are not, please drop me a line. I will try to rectify that issue for you. We'll be back next week with a whole bunch more. We'll chat Kansas. We'll chat Darlington. We'll chat with another guest from the NASCAR world. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening this week. We'll catch you next time here in Victory Lane.